Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Due to budget cuts, our show will no longer be translated into Canadian. Sorry, eh? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining. Adults only, 18 and over, pipe smoking broadcast. And welcome to our first Tuesday night show. Yeah, that's right. From now on, the uh, the Pipes Magazine radio show will be on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and then available on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podkicker, all those other podcast servers directly afterwards. Hey, I did a little experiment a couple weeks ago and was goofing around with some of the other uh, some of the other podcast servers, and noticed that um, Stitcher and and uh, and iTunes have completely different sound qualities. I really like the sound quality of the show on on iTunes. And I noticed on Podkicker that it seemed very similar to what iTunes was doing. So be interested to hear from you guys if you hear any difference in the sound quality between PipesMagazine.com, iTunes, all those other places. All right, but anyway, on tonight's show, on the first Tuesday night show in Pipe Parts, going to talk about slow lighting, a little technique that I want to call it slow lighting. My guest, the second half of the Mike Butera interview, uh, music, mailbag going to be kind of different because right now I am currently on a ship in the Caribbean. In fact, our itinerary says that I will have been leaving uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico today. So this is all pre-recorded. So not much of a mailbag, but we'll go into some articles that I thought were interesting on PipesMagazine.com and we'll cover upcoming pipe shows. And I got a little bit of a review of a bourbon for you. And then at the end of the show, back to the rants. Back to the rants we go. Got one that I've been saving up for a while. So, all right. If you haven't been following me on Facebook, you haven't seen some pictures that I've posted from the trip, and again, all summer long, I want all of us pipe smokers post pictures of us on vacation out there smoking our pipes. So, all right, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here goes the first Tuesday night radio show ever. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. 
Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Hey, people, it's your old pal, Jack. Now, you're listening to the Pipes Radio Show. What's it about? The answer is I don't have the first damn clue, but mostly I'm guessing it's a tobacco show about pipe smoking. So why don't you jam that in your pipe and light it up? Welcome back. In just a few minutes, the uh, second part of my visit with Mike Butera. But in the meantime, in pipe parts, and you got to excuse me, my note says pipe parts, slow lighting. I'm not sure where I got the inspiration for this pipe parts, but I know that part of the problem that we all have as pipe smokers is is getting the bowl really hot. Uh, One of the tricks that I've talked about in the past is doing doing the thirds packing and then taking some of the very small bits and pieces of tobacco and sprinkling them onto the top of that last third and using them kind of as kindling. Now, here's where I think the slow lighting comes into effect. What I'll do is take my lighter and put it right over the bowl and just draw down a couple of times and puff on it and then use the flat side of the lighter to mute down the bowl. Uh, I just do it with a couple of puffs. I don't really want to try to get the bowl going all on that first light, but I'll do that and I might grab a tamper and tamp a little bit and then give it about 20, 30 seconds and then come back to it and light it again. And by that time, it's got enough going. What I think happens is if we are too aggressive with the flame, whether it's a lighter or a match, if we're too aggressive, that tobacco in the bowl, the tobacco on the top kind of gets shocked and you'll see it start to puff up. And if it gets shocked, it's going to start releasing moisture and it's going to start getting bitter faster. So what I suggest everybody do is just do a couple of puffs with the flame right over the bowl, draw it in, let it sit for a few seconds, and then do it again, a couple of puffs. And again, not angling the flame down into the bowl, just putting the flame across the top of the bowl because you really don't want to get the tobacco too hot or get the bowl going too hot at the start. The worst thing that we can do to our tobacco is get it going too hot. You run a risk of burning off the oils in the leaf. You run a risk of, for those of you that smoke aromatics, The casings and the flavorings are going to burn and that's going to start it steaming and it's going to turn the pipe bitter. So pack the pipe a little looser than what you think. Light slower than what you think. Only a couple of puffs to draw it down in there and use that and see if that doesn't help slow down the rate of burn a little bit, first of all, because you're not putting as much flame into the pipe. But it should also help keep the tobacco from getting hot, the bottom of the bowl from getting muddy. And remember, if, you, if you're starting to get moisture in the bottom of the bowl, I use a pipe cleaner right during the bowl. I'm also not afraid that if I'm using a, a system pipe or if you use a pipe that's got a filter in it, I'm not afraid to take the stem off while the pipe is hot. All the pipes that we're smoking are all well-made pipes. And as long as you hold the shank and hold the stem and twist in one direction, 
it's okay to take it off while it's kind of warm. I wouldn't take it off while it's burning hot, but just twist in one direction. Hold the shank, hold the stem, twist it on and off. But again, try keeping an eye on the temperature of the pipe. See if the uh, see if the the temperature of the flame or the amount of flame that you're using in the bowl. See if that doesn't help kind of cool down your smoke, slow down your smoking. And one of the ways to slow down your smoking is to slow down your lighting. So there you go. All right. In just a few minutes, Mike Butera. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I am happy to have back back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, as we called him a couple weeks ago, the godfather of the American pipe makers, Mike Butera. Mike, welcome back to the show. Yeah, great to be back, Ryan. So apparently it wasn't that painful and you agreed to come back on. Yeah, well... As long as you uh, hit me off a little bit at a time, I can take you. Okay. <laughs> so, last time you were on, we talked a, we talked a lot about your pipe making. Uh, did we miss anything in regards to pipe making? Like anything? In, uh, do you have like huge stocks of briar that you're still working from? Yeah, I, I still have some from. Uh, uh, let's see here. I think I have some from 1990. Wow. That I haven't finished yet. And then every year thereafter, I always bought some every year and never used all of what I purchased. So I still have some from 1990, 91, all the way through this year. I just got another box in. Last pipe making question before we go on to the other part of your career. Uh, Do you think it really does help a block of briar to sit longer and before it's used? Uh, I think the last time you interviewed me, I met, you asked about the most difficult things in yeah. pipe making. That, and I mentioned one of them was the taste, the smoking qualities of a pipe. There is absolutely no doubt about it. You have to, uh, and I hope these uh, young pipe makers, these new pipe makers are letting their blocks age for uh, a year to 18 months uh, in a proper kind of atmosphere before they start cutting them because that makes a huge difference on the taste. 
the briar that's being purchased today, and it has been ever since I've been purchasing briar, is considered by the briar mills to be semi-dry, meaning they can only dry them down to a certain point, then they sell it. But they do not dry it all the way. And if you don't let that core dry, at least for one season, uh, you're still going to get a little bit of a bitter taste. Now, you can camouflage that taste with bowl coatings and things, but uh, you just can't get rid of it. So touch better, smokes better when it's been aged properly. So I let my blocks age uh, for 12 months to 18 months, and I try to make sure that sometime during the season it is uh, very dry. I want, it, I want that block to dry out completely. And then it can re-moisturize itself with whatever my humidity is in Houston. But I have to be careful that in Houston it doesn't stay moist until I use it. It has to dry down at least one season. And you've got some blocks that have been sitting there for 20-something years now. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're definitely, their cores have definitely dried out on those. In fact, if you don't mind, I'd, take, I'd like to take a minute just to... Probably your pipe makers out there know this already, but just a hint about when they purchase briar, because it is considered semi-dry, and they will know this when they drill, they will notice the core is still a little bit moist. They'll, they'll see the moisture or they'll smell the moisture when they drill the tobacco chambers. And this tells you that the, the, unless they know they have dried that core, that core has never dried out, period. So you still have a little resin, a little acid in there uh, that needed to dry out and change molecular structure, I think, is what happens. So when I buy a new briar, especially the larger blocks and especially plateau, uh, I will go through the plateau and pick a few blocks out that I will uh, perhaps make a pipe with the plateau on it, with a plateau top. And I'll leave those alone. But all other blocks, I will shave a lot of that plateau off as soon as I get it in. And I'll turn it upside down and, and actually grind with a, 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 a sanding wheel, 36 grit. The bottom, just the bottom, a real thin layer off the bottom so that the bird's eyes can begin to breathe and that core can begin to evaporate. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Yeah, so you're kind of skinning it and opening it up a little. Opening the bird's eye. You yeah. have to open the bird's eye. You don't have to worry about the sides. On plateau, it's a, usually a straight-grained piece. Uh, but you've got to open those bird's eyes a little. And if you don't do it on larger pieces, and even I've, I've had it happen on smaller pieces, if you don't do it and you uh, dry that and it dries too quick, so you have a real dry season, you will end up with some cracks in some of the straight grains, and uh, which is not a good thing. No, no. So, I, I know enough about pipe making that cracks in pipes are bad. Yeah, uh, you know, and I learned because I uh, discovered that myself, uh, making a pipe, and all of a sudden you're down to some final sanding, and there's a hairline crack in the dang bowl, and you realize after, and then I talked to the briar mills and ask them how come this is happening, and that's what they told me. You're, you're letting it dry down too quick, or you need to cut a little plateau off the top 
or at least sand the top and the bottom so the bird's eyes can breathe. Anyway, I thought that would be a helpful hint uh, for those that may have not known it already, but I suspect most of the pipe makers out there knew that already. It's actually something that I've never heard before. Oh, okay. Well, so, I learned something new today. Okay, good. All right, now let's go on to what most people know you for, which is the Butera tobaccos, the Butera cigars, the Butera accessories. How did you become, you go from being a full-time pipe maker to a tobacco importer, a manufacturer of cigars? Let's take that path. Okay. Um, Well, at this point, I'm making pipes full-time. And I can see my, and because I'm limited on the number of pipes I can make per year, if I'm going to do them all myself, I realize that my income would never go up unless the prices of my pipes continue to go up. And I, I really didn't want that to happen too much. So I decided I'll uh, come out with a line of pipe tobaccos. So between Barry Levin and I, uh, I came up with some blends that I wanted. I wanted McClellan to do it. And uh, eventually that happened. I had a few formulas in my mind that I shared with Mike McNeil at McClellan's, and he perfected them. And um, we ended up with, I think, six different blends from McClellan's. I ended up with one uh, English blend from Stokeby. Uh, Peter Stokeby and I worked on a blend together called Pelican. And uh, Robert Germain, who... uh, produces the esoterical line for me or produced it for me at the time when I owned it. Uh, also took one of my formulas and perfected it. And we call that one Kingfisher. Now let's go back to the, the original Butera blends that you did with McClelland. Uh-huh. How long was the process of getting it from concept to a finished package? Uh, a year or so. Um, it's, uh, it just it took about a year to get it get it right. McNeil knew what he was doing. I did. I experimented in my home with with leaf. He would send me some leaf. I would experiment with it, and he would kind of direct me in the right, put me into the right direction of what I wanted to do. So mostly, I told him what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted the taste to be, and he would send me leaf. I would experiment, and then we would come up with uh, the blend and. You know, he nailed it every time for me, but it just took a while for us to finally understand each other. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned Esoterica, uh, uh-huh. one of the uh, one of the more uh, in demand lines right now is Esoterica. Right. How did you get a hold of that line? Yeah. Well, when uh, that happened, right after the cigar was launched. And the pipe tobaccos. I launched uh, three shapes of my cigar and three uh, cans of pipe tobacco from McClelland. And I went to uh, an RTDA show, the big retailer show, uh, to launch those products. Uh, a man named Stephen Richmond owned a pipe shop in California. I think he still does. Had met Robert Germain in the Channel Islands, and developed these esoterical blends, all of them. I think there are 18 total. 
and he was there distributing them or wanting to try to launch that product. He was at that RTDA as well, and I met him. I had known him in the past from the pipe collector shows because he was a pipe collector as well. He opened his shop, and he just did not have time to deal with distribution of anything. So I was getting calls from my retailers uh, because they knew I knew Steve, and retailers would call me and ask me if I could do anything to get Steve to ship their orders. So (laughs) uh, I called Steve one day. I said, hey, man, I'm getting calls from retailers wanting their orders. What's going on with us? So And he says, man, I just don't have time to to deal with this. I said, well, why don't you let me buy it? I'll buy it from you. He says, well, I'll call you back in 20 minutes. And he called me back in 20 minutes with a price uh, on his stock and a price that he wanted for whatever goodwill he had developed at the time. And I took it. And that's how I got the esoterical line. Did you do any changes to the line when you had it? Not at all. I did not change a thing. I All I wanted to know was what the blends were. Uh, I was able to find out what the tobaccos were that went in them, but not all the essences or flavorings that may have gone into some of them. So I had a good idea of what they were, you know, blend-wise, and uh, that was that. From there, uh, Robert Germain and I uh, developed a great relationship. Uh and I had it from 1995, 1995 till uh, I retired uh, five years ago. Uh, I owned the product and uh, the trademarks on it and sold it to Mike Gold when I retired. I also sold him. In the meantime, I, uh, in the year 2000, Robert Germain also had... Uh, a few blends. They were all in in cans, 11 of them. He had 11 blends in the can, and I was able to get the exclusive distribution for the United States on his particular, the Robert Germain blends. So I had those from 2000 on, and those, of course, I didn't know what went in them. They were all his, his personal blends that he distributed uh, himself in the U.K., uh, when was it uh, Kingfisher? He made Kingfisher for me. Now, that one I do know what it is. It was my blend. He perfected it for me. Kingfisher came out in 1998, and Pelican, that was Peter Stokeby and I worked on that one together, uh, an English blend, Latakia blend, and that one came out in, I think, uh, October of 99. So there's the pipe tobaccos. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, I uh, maybe I can get Mike to tell you about one time when he got mad at me and called me on the phone over it. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your 
selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with Mike Butera. Mike, you want to tell him about how you were how you were uh, called me on the phone, giving me uh, giving me a whole bunch of heat over a shipment of Pelican. Well, okay, if you want me to tell on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got my first shipment of Pelicans in 1999, I think it was, and uh, we ordered 10,000 cans. And uh, it went pretty quick once uh, it was people got to smoking it. So we placed another 10,000-piece uh, order. And uh, when I got it, however, uh, it came UPS instead of on a pallet. Now, I called Brian and took pictures of, of this tobacco, which was like a warehouse floor, because all of these crates, uh, all of these boxes were just simply taped with one piece of tape, and they I guess they showed up uh, at, with to Brian or Stokeby's on a pallet. Yeah. And then Brian turns around and UPSs it to me, and it just didn't hold up. So needless to say, I lost about half of that order, didn't I? Wasn't it about half that was screwed up? Well, let, let me let, let me just say in Brian's defense that he was just the pipe tobacco guy and didn't actually do the shipping of it. And, okay. And since it was well, in English, I didn't go back there to taste test it or skim any off the shipment. Uh, okay. But yeah, we uh, we did we did give you a credit for a big chunk of those dented up tins, yeah. and I always wondered yeah. what happened to them. Ah, uh, well, I still have a few in my in my uh, uh, food saver bags. <laughs> but yeah most of it got smoked or given away uh the ones that were popped open there are just too many that were dented and uh, a lot of it was popped open so i tried to save as much as i could for myself or or just to give away uh when we'd go to the shows we'd have a, a jar uh, of kingfish or a pelican to give away and to so, this day, I insist from every tobacco manufacturer I deal with that at least wrap them five tins at a time. Yeah, yeah. These were just all put into a a, a regular UPS-type box, but the boxes were placed on a pallet. And they just, uh, the manufacturer, Stokely, just taped, put one strip of tape across the box top and the box bottom which just would not hold up under that kind of weight because these were all tens, and you know, and I think they were like eighty or eighty or ninety-six tens to a 
into a box. That was heavy. And so when UPS started throwing them around, they started breaking open, and it was a mess. But anyway, they took care of me. You took care of me really well and quick, too, I might add, which I certainly appreciated. So, And you'll still talk to me. And I'll still talk to you because I, I know it was somebody in your shipping department, but I still have to razz you a little bit. You should have been in charge of that. <laughs> yeah. Word to anybody shipping to Mike Butera, hand package yourself. Uh, <laughs> is it also, talking more about tobacco manufacturers, I know that the Germain product in the Esoterica line has a, uh, there's a shortage of, the the production does not exceed demand, shall we say, currently. Right. Yeah, that's, yes, you can say that. It never has. Never. Uh, even all the years I distributed the product i never uh, received a full order is that because of their because of the strict standards that they work by because of the time it takes to process it uh probably a little bit the time it takes to process some of those blends were pretty uh time consuming but mostly it was quality control uh they had a they would not produce a product unless they got the right leaf for it, and sometimes they had to wait. So, and sometimes they didn't get as much as they wanted, but they wouldn't produce it unless they had the uh, right leaf for it. And it had to be first quality leaf, and that's, uh, I would say, the biggest part of why uh, it's still in short supply. And, of course, we know demand has increased because of the resurgence in pipe smoking. Yep, it sure has. So let's sure talk has. about, you also branched out into cigars. Right. Uh-huh. Were you part crazy, or did you see something coming down the road that nobody else knew? I, I think I think that was it. I, I saw it happening, but I loved cigars, too, and I smoked cigars daily. And I, again... Uh, with a few pipe tobaccos and a few pipes, I still wanted to increase my income. And the only way I saw that was through cigars. And uh, so I reached out to several of the cigar manufacturers. I, I knew something was happening. I could feel it. But that was like in 1992, 93, before any of this really took off. I think the boom sort of started late 95 and lasted for three or four years. But uh, before it happened, I, I sure felt like this was the way to go. So I reached out to some manufacturers, and several of them replied that they were interested in producing a private label for me. So uh, I picked one and visited them and liked what I saw there and liked what they were willing to do for me. And uh, we took a couple of years uh, in 1994 is when I introduced it. In February of 1994, I introduced the this, this cigar. Three sizes, natural, and uh, uh, it just grew from there pretty quick. Uh, went from, I think, like 75,000 cigars that first year uh, in 94. And uh, the second year, we were already at 300,000, and then it just went crazy from there. Is the is the process of blending and creating a new cigar, is that very similar to the process that you went through with creating pipe tobacco blends? Well, that's how I approached it. But at the time, most of the manufacturers did not approach 
cigar making as a blending process. Uh, I was the first, uh, at least with this factory that I know of, to want a, what I called back then, a true blended cigar. My, uh, I wanted to take, instead of taking one or two fillers, I wanted four or five fillers from different countries. I wanted a different binder from another country and a different wrapper from another country. And that caused a little grief for the manufacturer, but for a price, they were willing to do that. The rollers had to be trained uh, based on the ring size of uh, how many fillers, uh, to, to get the fillers just right so that each ring size would taste very similar. Right. The binder and the wrapper were the same on all of them, but the amounts that you put into a 38 ring gauge as compared to a 52 ring gauge would have differed. So we ended up having uh, rollers that rolled two or three of my shapes only, and they would say the larger ring gauges and separate rollers to make my smaller ring gauges. And that is, I mean, that is really tricky with a cigar is to get the to get the Corona to taste like the double Corona, just in a exactly. different size. Yes, that's correct. It's a, it's a different process. My natural had four fillers. Now they were Dominican long fillers, but they were, they were all separate from different crops, uh, different times of the season, picking them at different times of the season and different types of aging to them. And then it had a Java binder. And we used, of course, the Connecticut shade grown wrapper. So that was a that was a tricky one. But they got it, and you know, it came out really uh, pretty consistent from from ring gauge to ring gauge. I was really uh, pleased with it. And at the time you introduced them, it was not a uh, it was it was not an inexpensive cigar line. No, it was it was uh, everything I wanted done to the cigar. They didn't do to theirs. Uh, so I kept adding, you know, uh, a nickel here, a nickel there. By the time I got that to market through distribution, through the retailers, you know, 10 cents can become uh, 40 cents real quick. So you go from uh, a $4 cigar to a $4.50 cigar. Uh, so it can get expensive pretty quick. And mine were. They were, they were one of the highest priced ones when I introduced them. But I just believed in it, and it worked. So I just count my blessings every day. And if worse came to worse, you had a whole bunch of cigars to smoke that you really liked. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That was a scary time in my life uh, because I had to commit to a certain number of cigars for the project to even get launched, and I had nowhere to sell them. I had not had experience as a distributor. Uh, I had only, uh, even with the pipe tobaccos, I launched the pipe tobaccos and the cigar right around the same time and uh, just did it through the retail network. Uh, I launched them at my first RTVA show uh, where the retailers go and buy new products and existing products. I had a one table. I had three cigars on the table, and I had three pipe tobaccos, and was just hoping for the best. And it took off. It worked. So, 
<laughs> and it was it was probably also pretty good timing that the cigar market hadn't gone crazy, and you were probably one of the few new cigars on the market. I, I think I was one of the very few at the time, my first show. Yeah. Uh, but the second year, uh, if you could see the new products coming onto the market, and you could see, you could feel the, I call it a fad. It wasn't a boom. It was a fad. Fads last a few years, and I knew it was, I felt like it was a fad as well as I felt it coming on. I didn't feel like it was a cigar boom. So I figured that it would last a few years, and it would go away, and it sort of did. I think there are more cigar smokers now than there were before I got started, so that's a good thing. Let's go back and talk about some of the other accessories that you did because you you started adding products here and there and coming out with some designs of accessories and then yeah, there was I a... did a few I did a few leather goods I, I love the Dunhill leather goods the the quality of them so I contacted that company and by this time uh, I think that was in 1999 March of 1999 is when I introduced those. And the a German company called West Design, uh, they uh, produced uh, all of Dunhill's products, and I like the quality, and designed a few things uh, that they produced for me, and I did pretty well with them. Uh, expensive leather goods are not a big item, but at least it gave me some... Uh, to variations in the products, it gave me additional products I could offer. It made made me it rounded out my company or helped to round out my company as far as products to offer. What else did you import and distribute that even I'm not aware of? Well, um, let me think here. The cigar punch. Now, I was actually the first one to produce a self cleaning cigar punch. <laughs> yeah, a company sent to me. Uh, Larson Industries in California were producing a cigar punch that they wanted me to distribute for them. And so they sent me a bunch of samples and wanted my opinion and ideas on how to improve upon it. So I took it, and in my little shop, I had a lathe by that time, so I was able to do a lot of things. And I made one, uh, a different design than theirs, but it was a cylinder type, and made it out of brass and made, a, made it where when you screwed the two pieces together, uh, the, the cap that you, the little plug you took out, popped out. And I sent that to them, and instead of distributing it for them, I had them make it with my name on it. And so that's what they started doing. So I had that for a while. I think I brought that out in 1996, both in brass and in nickel-plated, but... Soon after I came out with it, everybody had a self-cleaning plug. So it wasn't anything new for a very long time. Uh, what else? Uh, the leathers, pipes, Barbie pipes. Uh, Barbie came to me, uh, sent me some pipes. Uh, I, I don't know how he found me, but he did, and uh, sent me a letter. And we faxed back and forth. He sent me some pipes, wanted a distributor here in the United States. And so he sent me a bunch of pipes, and I shared them with my friends. We smoked them and loved them. And I made a deal with him, so I was his exclusive distributor for uh, a pretty good time. I think it was uh, July of 97. I got my first batch in, 
68 pieces, took them to the shows and sold out right away. And from 1997 till I think 2003, I distributed his pipes uh, exclusively here. And I would get, on average, 130 to 160 pipes a year out of him. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so. Did you learn anything from his design work that you were able to put into your own pipes? Not really. I, uh, I love his design work. His vents were, his shanks uh, on his vents were shaped a lot like I do mine. It's a little different shaping than than traditional English-style shaping on shanks. So I like that. It, it just made them look more flowing of a design. I like the balance in his pipes. His mouthpieces were great uh, in the mouth. And the smoking quality was good. And he was getting the same briar. Actually, he was buying from the same briar mill. I didn't know that for a few years, that I buy from uh, Mimo uh, briar in Italy. And so... So I liked his grain too. We were we were getting back then. Barbie, uh, myself, and Baldo Baldi were getting briar from this one mill that was cutting exclusively Corsican briar, cut from a certain region of Corsica, and it was just outstanding stuff. It, the grain in it was just unbelievable. Of course, it had flaws in it just as any other. So. When you got a smooth, but when you did get a smooth, it was spectacular. Wow. And now that you are completely 100% retired, the only time we see you is maybe at one or two pipe shows a year. And, That's about it. And you show up with a couple of pipes, maybe, or you just show up with your smiling face. Hey, I had nine pieces this year at the Chicago show. Yeah, <laughs> and how many did you go home with? Well, none, but... Yeah. Again, it was only nine pieces, you know, so. <laughs> and I know the uh, the other thing that keeps you busy when you can get out there is uh, you like to play a little golf. Yeah, I play once or twice a week. That's about all this old body will let me uh, tolerate. So I play golf on one day and I recover for two days. So. Well, can you can you help me with a little with 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 a little golf tip for me because. I really have a hard time when I get down to the putting and getting the timing down with the windmill going by. Uh-huh. Uh, my advice to you would be quit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and who in the world allowed you to put a putter in your hand, for God's sakes? <laughs> well, well, I gave them $5. They gave me a putter and a ball. <laughs> My gosh, I want to know who that is. I need to have a talk with that person. Yeah, please. <laughs> that could be dangerous. Well, Mike, we made you do the Fast Five last time, so we won't make you do them this time. But I will tell everybody that if you want to get your hands on a Butera pipe, find them at a pipe show. Or they can email me now. I do take orders. I, take, I, don't, I don't take, uh, you know, you can't uh, ask for... I want to pipe exactly this millimeter and that millimeter, uh, but you tell me what you like. This is how I operate now. <clears throat> you can email me. Uh, I'll email you back or call you back and discuss what you what your interest is if you would like to have one of my pipes. And as I'm making pipes, if something comes out close, I'll send you some pictures. 
And if you like it well enough, I'll send it to you, and you can decide whether you like it or not. And so, what is your email address? Because I don't have it. Okay. It's M, as in Michael, A, Anthony, B, Butera, RV, Royal Vintage, M-A-B-R-V at A-T-T dot net. M-A-B-R-V at A-T-T dot net. Yes. We'll yes. put... We'll put that down under your picture on the uh, front page of the show. Mike, thank you again for all your time. Hey, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. And we'll uh, we'll see you at a pipe show soon. Will do. We'll be back in just a minute. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Mike is really one of the uh, living legends of our hobby, and I really appreciate him taking time to uh, spend an hour with me and record all that stuff. Um, also, just got in the mail last week from my friend Dan Locklear a brand new two CD release from called Tapestries. It's Choral Music of Dan Locklear. It's a two CD set. It is currently available on Amazon.com or directly from MSR Classics. The website's MSRCD.com. It's a two CD set. I'm going to play one of them, and it's called Breakaway.
the music of Dan Locklear, and I don't think we've ever had any kind of choral music on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, I've listened to both CDs now twice. Perfect background music for some uh, heavy thinking or when I've had to sit down and calculate show deals that are coming up. Absolutely perfect to put on and just kind of ease the mood a little bit. Also, uh, some surprising parts in there that would kind of catch me and kind of wake me up a little bit. Check your mailbox, you moron! Hard to check the mailbox when I'm away all week, and there I haven't had a chance to look and see what's been going on. But I did think I'd point out to you some of the upcoming events. Uh, in uh, England, the British Pipe Smoking Championship, July 13th, coming up at the Crown Plaza Hotel in... Uh, North Dublin, Ohio, August 23rd is the NASPC show. That's uh, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. They're starting off with a new Friday night thing and then rolling it into Saturday. Uh, September 20th, uh, the 2014 Music City Pipe Show, Southern Fried Pipe Club, putting that on. Check out southernfriedpipeclub.com. The Core Show, annual thir- the 30th annual Richmond Core Show, October 10th, 11th, and 12th in Richmond. Uh, the Speyer Pipe Show in uh, Germany, I believe, coming up October 18th. And then ending out the U.S. season, the West Coast Pipe Show, November 8th and 9th in the Palace Station in Las Vegas, all that coming up. And again, do try your best to get out to a pipe show. If you're looking for a pipe club, check out the forums of pipesmagazine.com. There is a pipe club section that you can post in to see if there's a pipe club near you. You can skim through there and see who's posted. Maybe even try to form a pipe club yourself. You never know. Uh, While you're at pipesmagazine.com, there's a lot going on. All summer long, there'll be all new information put up. In particular, uh, look at my friend Gregory Pease's last article about called Looking in Mirrors. Uh, he uh, kind of contradicts himself and uh, proves that he doesn't know everything, which I wish I had read that when I saw him back in Kansas City so I could remind him of that. Uh, new articles coming out again from, uh, from Steve Morissette on style fred brown's back writing again and russ Roulette admits that he is a pipeaholic i want to say thank you to my friend peter field for turning me on to a brand new bourbon that i've never tried before never seen before it's called noah's mill it's a uh, high octane small batch bourbon i mean really high octane it's 113 proof 114 proof. Uh, got a little smokiness to it, which is really interesting. And again, I'm really enjoying the fact that there are there's a resurgence in rye whiskeys and small batch bourbons. Uh, one of the places that I'm looking forward to in this coming up in a couple of weeks at the IPCPR in Las Vegas is a place called 1928, which is a bourbon and burlesque cigar bar at mandalay bay uh tons of bourbons tons of rye on there be able to smoke while we're there already called and checked with them they said hey pipe's not a problem 
uh, just come on in and buy a drink or two. So looking forward to that. But again, this resurgence in uh, small batch bourbons that are out there that are all really good, really different, really interesting. And now the uptick in rye whiskeys that are really good and really interesting. And I'm going to have a sip of bourbon while we listen to this before we come up on rant time. a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Oh, those precious, precious, precious frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I travel a lot and I get frequent flyer miles for them. For those of you that don't know, here's how frequent flyer miles work. When you fly with an airline, they give you one mile for every actual physical mile that you fly. You are then able to save those up and use those towards a free plane ticket. Now, as the more you fly with one airline, the more bonuses you get. I'm currently at the silver level with U.S. Airways, which is soon to become part of American. So that means I get a 25% bonus on top of all the miles that I earn. Now, last year I flew 31,000, 32,000 actual miles, and I got a 25% bonus on that. So if you do the math... Yeah, all right, so I got 40,000, 37,000, whatever it is. But those are the actual miles that I got to use towards a plane ticket. That's a whole year's worth of flying. That's 31, 32,000 miles of time in the air. Now, they say you can get a free one-way ticket for as low as 12,500 miles. That's 25,000 miles round trip. Those tickets are few and far between because they limit the amount of seats that you can get for that. You have to fly on strange days and it's not to the premier locations. So you've got to really pick and choose to get to that 
25,000 mile round trip ticket thing. And now when they come down the aisle or when you're in the airport and they're hounding you to get a free, uh, you know, get a free round trip ticket on uh, on whatever by you by signing up for our credit card. No, what they're doing is they're telling you they're going to give you enough miles to get the cheapest tick, the cheapest frequent flyer mile possible. Now, the other thing the airlines are doing that's bothering me, and I'll wrap this up pretty quick, is they are, again, clamping down on the amount of seats available and thus clamping down on the amount of seats that they are willing to give to the frequent flyers. If I was an airline, I'd want to make sure that my frequent flyers were using their flyer mileage as fast as possible so that they wanted to get back on the airline and earn more as fast as possible so that they could go ahead and use it. But again, hey, listen, I'm not the head of an airline. No, I'm just a lonely pipe sales guy and... Yeah, and I do a podcast occasionally, so there you go. All right, which reminds me, if you could, please leave us ratings and reviews everywhere where you listen to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Post comments in the forums. I do appreciate them, and I read them all. Got a question? Email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you are interested in being an advertiser on the Pipes Magazine radio show, email Kevin Godby at pipesmagazine.com. He handles all that stuff. And uh, make sure and share the Pipes Magazine radio show with your friends. We do appreciate it. And remember, from now on, we will be on Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And then it gets picked up as a podcast on all uh, all the podcast places just as soon as they grab it. So next week, Tuesday night, I'll be back live from the uh, smoky confines of Concord, and I'll tell you all about my trip, and I hope to get back in one piece. Keep sending me vacation pictures. Don't forget about that. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Celebrity voices are impersonated.